When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. You're here, my friends, because you believe, as I do, that human potential is nearly limitless, but you know that having potential is not the same as actually doing something with it. So our goal with this show and company is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you actually execute on your dreams. All right, today's guest is one of the most successful female athletes of all time, but her road to superstardom was a rocky one. Being born to a very famous father and having a very difficult childhood turned her into a self-proclaimed rebel without a cause who lived like she was actively looking for trouble, and surprise, surprise, she ultimately found it. But in this case, thank God, because it wasn't until she was sent to juvenile hall for shoplifting and spent months behind bars that she finally realized that if she was going to make her dreams a reality, she was going to have to get herself together. And get herself together, she did. After seeing her first female boxing match, she realized in an instant that that was exactly what she wanted to do. And despite all the naysayers in the world, she decided to throw herself into boxing full time. A decision that led to one of the most astonishing careers in professional boxing, regardless of gender. By the time she retired, she had racked up 24 wins and zero losses. She didn't just win, she dominated the sport, getting 21 of her victories by knockout and holding four world championship titles. She has so captured people's imaginations that post-boxing, she has arguably been even more successful. She's been tapped to host or appear on numerous shows, including American Gladiators, Dancing with the Stars, Celebrity Apprentice, Everyday Health, and Late Night Chef Fight. She won Celebrity Chop twice, impressing my wife, and now she set her sights on becoming the queen of healthy living. She has an upcoming cookbook due out fall of 2017, and she's launched her own lifestyle brand and podcast, which is blowing up thanks to her roughly 4 million strong social following. So please, help me in welcoming the former president of the Women's Sports Foundation, the daughter of the greatest boxer of all time, the host of Layla Ali Lifestyle, None other than Layla Ali. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Oh man, truly, truly a pleasure. Thank you. That was a great introduction. Thank you. I, the funny thing is, I put more time and effort into the intro, I think, than anything else. It's my way of coming to really understand the person. And the thing that surprised me, I didn't know how rebellious you were. Yes, and I think a lot of people still don't because I wrote the book Reach, Finding Mm -hmm. Strength, Spirit, and Personal Power back in 2002 uh, when I first started my boxing career because so many people you know, were being naysayers. They didn't really understand where this fighter came from. And I'm like, look, you can't judge a book by its cover. You never know what someone has been through. They just assumed 
I'm Muhammad's daughter. I was like, oh, I want to be a boxer like my dad. And that's why I became a boxer. But ironically, it had nothing to do with the fact that my dad was a boxer. It was seeing women's boxing on television for the first time. Yeah, so I definitely made the assumption that you had become a boxer and that your dad was coaching you and that that was just a natural ascension for you. And how many, there's eight kids in your family? I forget sometimes. <laughs> um, there's nine of us total. Wow. Nine. Yes, okay. and I have one sister that I grew up with with the same mother. So we have the same parents, both parents. But you're the only one that went into boxing. Only one that went into boxing. I'm his youngest girl. Um, and of course, uh, that was something my dad had to struggle with uh, when he found out that I actually wanted to enter the sport. Because he didn't want you to. No, he, he didn't. And um, he didn't tell me not to when he found out. Um, he pretty much heard through the grapevine. So the story is basically, as I wrote about in the book, you know, I got into a lot of trouble growing up. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. I had a really dysfunctional family. My parents divorced. My mom got remarried. She married a man who was abusive, um, not physically, but emotionally. Right. And she started, you know, putting that on us, basically, and pretty much abandoned us as her kids. And we were just raising ourselves. Like, I literally lived in the guest house, and nobody woke me up to go to school. Nobody made sure that I had dinner. Nobody did any of that. It was kind of like you do your own thing. So I raised myself, and I was upset, and I was, um, you know, feeling bad, obviously, and, and angry at my mom. Mm -hmm. And that, coupled with the fact that I've always been very independent and kind of like headstrong, uh, it was kind of like, I don't want people to like me because my father's Muhammad Ali. So I would kind of stray away from our group of friends, you know, our uh, wealthy friends that we kind of grew up with and venture off into the wrong neighborhoods and end up around people. Hey, let's go shoplifting. Okay, you know, I got money in my pocket, but I'm going to go with you. You're like, get it for free? Sure. And then you get in trouble. And then that's how that whole thing started. And once I got into the system, then they start looking at your grades and they start looking at like, where is your mom? Like, who, does your mom know these friends you were with? No, you know, all these different things. And the judge luckily just thought, okay, this is Muhammad Ali's daughter and her mom doesn't know what's going on and I'm gonna teach her a lesson without actually, he never sentenced me to time. He basically postponed my case and said, go, you know, For come back months. in, you know, he said, go back, come back in two weeks. And I was just like, I thought my whole life was going to end because I went in there with this attitude, like telling my friends, oh, yeah, I'm going to court, girl. I'll see you at the club tonight. You know, I was I thought I was grown. And then he locked me up. And that's when I became a child. Like, oh, mommy. And I'm looking at my mom and she couldn't do anything. So I, I got locked up. And I hear now from her, she said actually it was the best thing that ever happened. She kind of felt like that's what I needed because mm -hmm. I was just kind of doing my own thing, disrespecting her, stealing her car, just doing what I wanted to do. And um, he's, I came back two weeks later. And, you know, that two weeks seemed like months and months and months. And I came back and he left me at the court, you know, in the back room all day, didn't see my case, sent me back for another two weeks. And I thought I was going to die. And then he did that a few more times. And finally, when I came back, I was just like ready to just please just get me out of here. Mm. Um, and that's when they sent me to a group home. And I was happy to go to a group home at that point because having your freedom taken away is like unlike anything else you can possibly imagine. Um, and I had to go to a group home and there was a program there with other girls and we had to sit in group and we had to talk about our problems. And, um, you know, they said, I said, well, how, cause I've always been a planner, you know, like this, you know, even though I was going through, I had these issues, there were positive things that I was doing. So I was really, um, you know, once I set my mind to something I can do it. So I said, now how long is it going to take to get out of here? What do I need to work on? And I'm keeping notes. Like they were like, it's going to take at least a year. I was like, I'm not going to be here for a year. 
So I had um, got out the program in six, six months, which no one had ever graduated that program. By the time I was done, they wanted me to come back and work there. You know, wow. to, yeah. So it was great. I mean, because I learned so much about these young girls that had problems way deeper than mine. Mm. Um, and it just showed me, that's when I really learned to stop complaining and stop being mad about my situation because I actually did have friends and family and people around me that actually supported me and loved me regardless of what was going on in, in, at home. Um, so it just really changed my outlook on life. And I, had, I also wanted to grow up quickly. So that was the thing about myself I wrote about in the book. And I went to school to learn how to do nails. I used to take the bus. I was doing really bad in school, getting bad <laughs> grades. But then I'd take the bus way across town into the hood to go to school to learn how to do nails. Because I was like, I'm going to move out this house. Because I, I didn't like my home. Right. And I was like, I want to move out this house as soon as I can. That and was I, a promise you made your mom, right? At I did, yeah. Because I asked her to emancipate me. I was like, you know, I found out you can emancipate me. There's some kids that live on their own. And I did this research. She's like, Layla, Layla, Layla. I was like, no, really? So that didn't work. So I was like, okay, as soon as I'm old enough. So I said, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to live on my own, pay my bills. And I was like, how can I go to school and pay my bills? I have to be in control of my schedule. So then I learned how to do nails. And so after I got out, sounds crazy now, saying after I was locked up, after I got back on track, I, I went and started building a clientele and had a nail salon. And that's what I was doing when I saw women's boxing for the first time. In school, had a nail salon, which I built up on my own at the age of 18. And um, then I went a different direction with boxing. I know that was a mouthful. But. No, no, no. And I want to belabor the point a little more because every story that you sort of touch on there, having read the book, I know how deep right. they go. Like, for instance, in trying to get your degree, you end up losing like 200 hours because of a clerical mm -hmm. error. But you still have the fortitude to keep taking the bus to get it done. Like, And I'm going to guess, and we'll get more into this later, but I'm going to guess that those laid some of the foundation for a champion's mindset. Definitely. How did you cultivate that, though? Like, how did you not just get pissed off and quit? Which is, I think, what 99% of people do when they realize, okay, I'm halfway there. Nope, I'm back at zero. Well, I think that, and I never actually thought about that. Um, I wrote the book so long ago, like, now that I'm, you know, really grown, right, and have my own kids and really mm -hmm. thought back to, you know, that situation. How, at that age, did I say, you know what, I spent all this time, because it took a long time to get 200 hours and taking the bus across town. And trust me, nobody else in my family was taking the RTD. Okay, <laughs> I don't even know. Does the RTD even still around? I mean, is it called the RTD anymore? I don't know. But that was public transportation. Right. Like my sister would never get on the bus. She would wait for my mom to drive her somewhere. Okay, because remember we lived in Malibu at a certain point and all these beautiful places, and a Muhammad Ali's daughter on public transportation. So that should tell you something right there. I'm a little different. I didn't care. I was like, I need to get where I need to go, and I'm not waiting on my mom to take me because a lot of times I. Would be let down. I'd be waiting. You say you're going to take me somewhere and you don't. So I learned at a very young age, like if you want it, you got to go get it. So for me, um, when I found out that those hours were lost because I wanted that license so badly, um, I was like, I'm just going to have to do it again. There's no other choice. You know, if you want it, you, you got to go get it. So I went to a different school, started over and ended up at a better school with a better situation. Um, so that's pretty much it. I mean, we can get into that deeper, but in the moment, I didn't think, like, of course, this is a champion mindset. It's just like, I want something, and I'm not going to let any roadblock that gets in the way stop me. I'm going to get there regardless, so. Yeah, I love that. So the one thing that I wish for anybody watching this, do yourself a favor. Normally, I wait to the end to encourage people to really dive in, but I'm telling you, this is how you want to research Layla Ali. Read her biography first. Now, I had the great pleasure of not realizing that it was had been written back in 2002. Mm -hmm. So when I'm reading it, I'm, I, I keep like, when is she going to start talking about boxing? <laughs> Which doesn't come until like literally at like the last, I right. don't know, maybe 
eighth of the book or something. So I'm like, whoa, like I'm getting super deep. But you'd opened up saying, if I'm going to tell you about me, I'm going to tell you about me. Like no bullshit, no holds barred. Like we're going to really go in on this. Mm -hmm. It was so raw, so vulnerable, so unguarded. So, okay, now I'm in that world. You haven't even started talking about boxing yet. I realize there's very little left in the book to get into boxing. And then I realized, oh my God, like this was written a long time ago. So now I get to do this time warp. And so literally I finished the book, I set it down, and then I start watching videos where I filtered by last year. So it was all stuff in the last, most of it was really three to six months. And you're a totally different person. And like as unguarded as you were in the book, I could still feel you mm-hmm. doing, like you were using the unguardedness as a way to like push people back to almost intimidate, if that makes sense. It was, you were so like strong and now there's like this wonderful um, openness about you. Was that intentional? I like the way you broke that down. So let me explain. And you're, you're really, really on it. Um, when I first started boxing, I felt like I had something to prove. Um, one, I had to let people under, really get to know me. Like, first of all, because I don't, I, even till this day, I don't like when people attack my character because I, the character is really important to me and having integrity. And when I remember when I first started boxing, people were like, oh, it's a publicity stunt. You know, she's just doing it to get attention. And it was totally not the case. Um, and that irritated me. Like, why would I do that? Because that's just not the type of person that I am. In fact, as I wrote in the book, I didn't want to be famous. That was part of why it took me so long. It felt like so long. Now I look back, I was like, that wasn't that long. It took me like a year of contemplation, you know, of, of to get into it. But it felt like forever as a young person sure. um, to make a decision to do something. And, um, you know, because I didn't want to be live my life publicly. Um, so that was an inner struggle. And then um, once it started happening, people were just like, oh, she's, you know, things are going to be easier for her because of who she is. And I had to show people, I've been a fighter all my life. And I don't have any fear because I've since then in my career, I've had certain people call me, say that I won't fight them and I'm afraid. And I've never been afraid of anybody. I wasn't afraid to stand up to my father when I said, I don't want to be Muslim. When I said, you know, he thought I shouldn't box and women shouldn't box. And I said, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to, you know, and it wasn't even about proving anything to him. It was just a matter of I'm going to do it regardless. And it really didn't matter to me what he thought. I didn't go to him to ask him for help because. You know, the thing is, is that even though that's my dad, my dad didn't raise me. My dad wasn't there for the most important parts of my life because it's hard to be fighting the world and be as great as he is and be be a present dad. So I'm not faulting him for that, but that's just the truth. So a lot of what I had to go through when I was, you know, went through molestation by family, he didn't know about any of that. And part of it, I can't say that it's his fault, but it's like a lot of things you just, he was getting sick and you know, he had a lot going on. You don't want to bother, bother your father with that. You know, so these are things that I had to deal with, you know, um, but as a child, you feel kind of abandoned by both parents. So that's something that I had to deal with, but I found a way to become strong and, and I did my fighting and I let my anger out in the ring. And these girls had no idea what I was unleashing on them. You know what I mean? And where they had no idea because before I get in that ring, like I used to look myself in the eye and say, okay, go, you, you about to do this. And I would look deep within and like I had no, there was no doubt in my mind that I wasn't going to win that fight because I was bringing all this stuff to the ring. And, you know, so like I said, we can get into that, but I don't even remember what the question was. I just went all off. But you answered it. Nonetheless, that was amazing. So <laughs> what, what I was saying was that you, you are to me like this watchable transformation. Like so often a transformation is told looking backwards, right. but because you've been living a relatively 
You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Public life, since you're about 18, you can follow that. And that was, it's so powerful. And I really encourage 
certainly young women to read the book. That's what I wrote it for, really. Which is incredible because I think if they really do that and they take the time, you there's a couple things I want them to take away from. One, that you were super open and yet still a confident, secure person who's gone on to be very successful. Um, and most importantly, Layla, this is the thing that freaks me out about you in the most beautiful <laughs> way possible. You're not bitter. Mm-mm. Like even in the book, and you're, I have the chills, you're detailing like what you went through with your mom, your father moves to Michigan, very much not a part of your life, you don't feel protected, you were molested, um, bad relationships, like just negative things happening to you. And yet through it all, you're like, I don't judge my mom and I have real love and warmth for her and I'm in many ways a mother's girl and like, it seems like you guys have rekindled the relationship. I mean, it's like, the whole time I'm reading, I'm like, how is she not just pissed all the time? You know, I did go through my time when I was angry because I was in it. Mm-hmm. But then when I moved out of the household, you know, I, I, I was able, because my mom is a great person, you know, she's a beautiful person inside and out, but I see her weakness as a woman. And she knows that. And, and trust me, that was hard to write that book because I do love my mom and I'm putting her business out there, too. I'm putting my dad's business out there. And um, I didn't make a lot of money on that book. It wasn't for money. That was never the purpose. You know, it was just something that I needed to release. And it really was about me at the time. It was more selfish, like people need to understand me. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to tell your story, too, because that's a part of my story. And my mom was not happy about that book because she was ashamed. And, you know, but I said, this is going to help. This is a young girl telling her mom, mom, this is going to help more people than it's going to hurt. You know, and I'm sorry, but you made your bed. You got to lay in it. And I've said that to my dad over the years, too, about certain things, because that's just how I feel, because I take responsibility for the things that I do. So that's for everybody. You know, that's sad, but you did do that and you did make those choices. So for me, um, like I said, it wasn't an easy thing to do also as far as my mom was concerned, but I thought that it was so important for people. And even now, like you said, I can reverse engineer, right, and go back and, and look at, the, it was great. I mean, like I said, I republished the book and I had to read it again because I was afraid it was weird as an adult to open it. You know, not because I don't know the story, just because I don't like watching myself on TV. I don't like listening to myself and I didn't want to read my book. Um, but then when I went back in, you know, I had to update it and do certain things to it. And I was like, wow, you know, this is now as a mom and just really looking at things differently, like having your daughter, you know, write the things that I wrote, even though they were true, you see things from a different perspective. But, um, you know, it's amazing to be able to go back and see. And I have always been that same real person. One thing about me is I'm honest. Um, I, I put it out there and it is what it is. But at the same time, you know, I, um, you know, like I have integrity, of course, I'm not going to just throw people into the bus, but I have to tell the story. So it definitely felt like it was done in a respectful way. And it felt it's like, um, you know, violence or nudity in a film. It's like there's gratuitous and then there's okay, it's meaningful to the experience. Mm -hmm. And it all felt incredibly, it felt like a gift, like it felt like a real glimpse because you can tell people all day long money is not the answer. Of course. And people just, they don't believe it. But reading that book was like, wow, it really wasn't a solution. Like, you're, it doesn't get more famous than your dad, not on a worldwide stage. I mean, there's mm-hmm. precious few people that have had the kind of global impact that your father has. Um, so, you know, growing up on that stage with that kind of wealth um, and to see that that wasn't the answer, that you still had to find your own path, but that you did carve that path. And I want to talk about what you just brought up, which is responsibility, right? Taking responsibility for what you do. And in the book, so above my fireplace, which you can't see, is the infamous um, image of Jordan from the flu game, Mm -hmm. where he's, you know, head bowed down and has one of the best games of the playoffs 
all while having like 102, 103 degree temperature. You boxed one of your most famous fights with a flu, but then you never talked about it until years later. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you talk about it? So for me, um, you know, I'm a really a true competitor. You know, it's like I'm not going to make any excuses, period, for my performance. And my performance was not up to par to me because I wanted a knockout and I didn't get it. So to me to say, oh, I had the flu and you know, there's really no way to prove it, it would have seemed like I was just making up an excuse when I didn't need to make up an excuse because I beat that ass. <laughs> I beat that ass now. Don't get it twisted. And I won fair and square, so I don't need to come back now and make an excuse. But the, 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 the fact is, I did have the flu, and after the third round, I was like ready. Like, I would not sit down in my corner, because like, if I sit down, I'm not going to be able to get back up. But I remember, and this, we're talking about the fight with Jackie Frazier, which is Joe Frazier's daughter, and there was a lot of history there between our parents, and I did not take her seriously. There's a whole story there, you'd have to read the book, but I was just like, I cannot wait to just get her out of my way, dust her off, and go for these championship titles, because she was not, she started boxing after I started boxing, and I had animosity towards her. Because I was like, people already don't take me seriously, and here you come with the circus act, and you're not serious, you know, you're just trying to make money and, and capitalize on her name. That's how I felt. Sure. And, um, but because people wanted to see the fight and it made sense and it was business, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. But then I, I really didn't really, I wasn't really interested in fighting her, but I needed to at the time. So that's a, actually, um, it was a tough fight because I, I ended up being sick. And I think it would have been um, tougher than I thought anyway, because she really wanted to win badly too. Right. You know, and she really had animosity towards me. And I didn't realize that she was bringing all this anger into the ring from what she went through is on the other side with her father, because my father used to, you know, talk about her father publicly. He's a gorilla. He's ignorant. He's this. He's that. And she had to listen to that about one of the most handsome, famous, you know, most looked up to men in the world talking badly about her father. And so she had a lot of energy, too. So, like, I'd be in her, my corner and they'd be like, get her, Layla. I'd be in her corner. and They were like, get her, Jackie. There was so much energy in that room. And I was, like, ready to fall out. But there's no way I was going to stop. Um, but I had no power in my punches, so I couldn't get her out of there. Um, but I won the fight, and then I regret that we didn't have a rematch because I was young and had so much to prove. I was like, I'm not fighting her again. I'm not fighting her again. That's like one of my two regrets in life is not having a rematch with uh, Jackie Frazier. You going to tell us the other one? At some point. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. If it comes up, no. <laughs> so walk me through, what does your self-talk sound like at that moment, which self-talk leading into the ring, I know is one of your things. I definitely want to hear about that as well. But you're in the ring, you're exhausted, you can hardly stand up, you know better than to sit down. So what are you saying to yourself? Anytime I've been sick, you know, I always would visualize the end of the fight, winning, mm -hmm. and kind of um, as if it had already happened. So, and that's kind of how I do now. Like I have this coach in my own head. You know, when things get hard, I'm like, I just remind myself, this is life. Things are going to get hard. This is just life. Don't, don't worry about it. It's just, this is the norm. It's not, a, it's not a reason to, it's almost like with kids, you know, you stay calm and your kids will stay calm. Right. So I keep myself calm that way. Like, it's all good. It's nothing. There's nothing, this is not a big deal. And then I just kind of stay calm. So you, you know how it is. You can get yourself riled up and I try not to get, and sometimes, you know, you fall off. I'm not perfect. I'm saying this is 85% of the time. Right. And sometimes I need to let myself get riled up and then I calm back down, you know. So, 
So walk me through when you decide that you're gonna be a fighter. Literally, in the room, when you see female boxing for the first time, you didn't even know it existed, which I had to admit was pretty ironic that mm -hmm. the daughter of right. Muhammad Ali didn't know female But that boxing tells you, though, that women's boxing was not promoted. I mean, it was not publicized. Sure. Yeah. You're at a friend's house, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken, and her father says, you don't want to do that, they'll knock your head off. Right. How, how do you, like, ignore everybody and still decide, like, no, 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 I'm gonna do this? Well, he was just a little... Um, naive to the fact that I was a fighter. So my friend knew, I mean, because remember, I was a little... In real life. In real saying. life, I was a little rough to begin with. I had had my fights. I mean, you know, anyone who knew me wouldn't be like, oh my God, you're going to fight. I was always <laughs> a fighter. Like, I was always, like, I never, like, I was never... Now, just to clarify, I was, I used to call myself the good bully because I'm that person. I still am. Like, if I see someone picking on somebody, I'm going to say something. Even right. now, I don't care if I'm in Starbucks in line or somewhere and somebody, I'll be like, excuse me. Right. No, no, no. You, there's no need to talk to her that way. Like, I'm that person. Like, I'm going to get in it. So it's like, I don't like to see people taken advantage of. I'm, I'm talking about with someone that can't stand up for themselves or someone, you know, that's smaller. So I would get into fights with boys a lot of times because they'd be picking on someone and I would kind of jump in it. And then I've gotten to fights because people would come at me wrong and I was the type that's going to stand up for myself and sometimes it could get physical. So for me, I'm just not afraid of confrontation. You know, I don't like to start it, but it excites me, you know, and I'm right. totally comfortable with it. So his, when, she, when he said that, I was kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, I really felt like, no, I can do this. Not knowing all the skill that went into it. Um, I just naturally felt like, no, I can, I can get those girls. Now, if I would have got in with those girls, I probably would have not, I mean, I was bigger than them, so we right. wouldn't have been in the same weight class. But I know now that you can't be a street fighter and get into the ring with a professional fighter and think you're going to win. Right. You, that's just, you can't. But at the time, not knowing, I thought I could do it and he didn't. So, I, so it was easy for me to be like, anyway, yes, I can. So of course, once I thought about it and took the time to actually contemplate going to the gym, got a trainer, I said, well, let me just see um, if if it's gonna to come to me naturally, the skill side of it. I don't wanna embarrass myself, I don't wanna embarrass my father. Right. I understand the responsibility that I have just coming from, it's not just about me. It never has been when it came to, even though I'm gonna do me, it's a fine line, right. it's not just about me. So if I'm gonna do this, I have to make sure I do it right. Um, so when I went to the gym, I started training and you know, I'm asking the trainer like, do I have it, like is it natural? He's like, yeah, of course he's gonna say yeah, because he's like thinking like, Payday for me, you know, because uh, I wasn't with the right guy at first. Like, right. you know, he was not the right trainer. But, um, you know, so that that's why it was easy for me to kind of shut out the naysayer in the beginning and not say, oh, well, you're right. I can't do it. I was like, yes, I can. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to show you, too. So. Right. So I was going to say, you've always said, don't tell you that you can't do something. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes tell me that I can't do something. Do you really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How definitely. do you respond? I'm not somebody who um, just thinks like superficially like I can just do anything like yeah I can do anything but can you be good at anything I'm not one of those people who wants to be mediocre or something like for example I can sing a little bit and I always say a little bit because that's a disclaimer right. <laughs> just in case you say I can't sing that just makes me feel good to let you right. know I know I'm not Whitney Houston but I can sing but I can't sing as well as I want to sing so that's why I didn't like so for a little while I started singing I started recording music but then I was like I don't I don't if I'm if I want to do it I want to be one of the best I want to be like it's a gift 
you know, because I have a thing about people trying to do things that they're not really good at. I have so many other things that I'm good at. Let me not fool around with this. So, like, you have to pick and choose. But that's just the way that I think. I'm like, I can do anything that I want to do. Is about what am I going to put my time into doing? And I want to do it well. Because I see kids, for example, let's take, for example, a kid that wants to play sports. And yes, you know, you can, you can try as hard as you can, you know, and you can train and you can have the mindset and surround yourself with the right people. But some kids just don't have it. You know, they just don't have that natural ability. And yes, you can keep trying and you can work hard and out hustle other people. But for me, I'm the type of person I rather do something else. You know, if it's going to be if it's not kind of natural and something that I want to do, that's just how I go about things. Right. So, yes, I do tell myself sometimes like mm, maybe you shouldn't do that or you, you can't do that. And, you know. So I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly. You're explaining it very well. Okay. I'm going to push you a little bit. Okay. Um, so certainly from where you started back as a teenager in your early career as a boxer, you didn't want to be out front. You didn't want to live in the public eye. And yet now you have planted yourself very firmly in the public eye. I was shocked at how good you are at speaking. Shocked. Remember, I'm reading the book thinking this is happening right now. Right. And funny. it's like, I don't want to be out front. Like, there's definitely a certain sense of being guarded. And then, in an instant, finish last page, click a YouTube video, and you're like hella eloquent. And I was like, what just happened? I was like, you're, you're able to be so gregarious. So, at some point, that even though it wasn't an, what I call early wins, what you're calling mm -hmm. being naturally mm -hmm. gifted at, like for me, being verbal mm -hmm. was an early win. I, mm -hmm. I won't say I was naturally gifted at it, but hey, like as a clumsy kid, maybe I was a little less clumsy than other people, which made me excited, which mm -hmm. made me mm -hmm. want to do it more, and then I just put the hours Right. In. So at some point, like I get it with the boxing, I guess it's easy to imagine because of your dad, but the, the personality shift of blossoming and literally stepping out front, you did a, a like 40-minute podcast, your first podcast, which, which was great, by the Thank way. Thank you. Uh, and, I mean, that's what I do. And right, so, right, like, right. watching that, I was like, you go, girl. Right, right. I was super impressed. So when did that become, like, despite not having early wins, that you stuck with it, you got good at it, and now clearly anyone, anyone who gets introduced to you today just assumes you're naturally gifted at speaking? Well, I've always been able to um, articulate how I feel. Um, and then I've kind of, over the years, understood the importance of, um, you know, the platform that I have and the difference that I can make in the world. Obviously, growing up Muhammad Ali's daughter, you know, I've been inspired by my father in a lot of ways to give back, right? And that's ultimately what helped me make the decision to box. Like, you know, I had to not be selfish because my reasons for not wanting to be public were kind of self selfish. Like, I, I don't want to be bothered, you know? But then I was like, you know what? I can, and I don't want to be that Hollywood type person. I'm still not now. I'm kind of anti-celebrity. Like, I don't have celebrity friends and all that because all that comes with that, I'm not really comfortable with. But um, I think that over the years, and I'm still perfecting that, I'm not to where I want to be, sure. but I think when you can be authentic and you can be unguarded and you know you have a story to tell and then you kind of do it over and over and over again, you just get better at it. Um, and I have a work ethic that I have really high expectations of myself and I work hard. Mm. Um, so that's something that you know I'm gonna eventually get good at it if I'm gonna keep doing it because I, I I don't, even with my fights, I didn't judge my fight after I knocked somebody out one. I didn't go, oh, look how great I did. I'm like watching the tape, like, let me see what I can do better next time. Of course I was going to win. That's not the point. Like, the, no, really. I mean, this is just how I thought. It was, I'm not surprised that I won, but people don't know what I trained. Like, if you're a speaker, like, for example, 
I all the time go, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? And that's something that I do that I'm, it's a bad habit. So if people, if I'm working on that, I'm like, I'm going to do this speech and I'm not going to say that. And then I'm going to go back and check to see if I say it. Other people may not have noticed, but I'm going to see that I work on the things in the gym that I was supposed to be working on. And so that's how you continually get better. Like I don't, I don't feel as successful as other people think that I am because there's so many other things that I want to do, you know? And I saw, I'm like, wow, it's great to be invited on this show. Like I'm being seen as successful and I can inspire other people and I get it. But I still feel like I have so much more to do. And I think that that's what my drive is, you know, still. You know, I'm, I'm like, I, I see what I want and I'm trying to go in that direction. So, but to answer your question about speaking, you know, I think that it just happens over the year. And I do, I do speak a lot. I do a lot of public speaking and I'm perfecting that craft. So thank you so much for noticing that um, I'm doing well. I'm yeah. learning from you here today by, by listening to you and watching you interview me. So. Wow. Uh, if I can help you with something, I would be elated. Oh, trust me, I'll be calling. Um, so my thing is, the reason that I bring that up is hiding in the way that you are are like a roadmap of how to become great. Literally, and even if I were just meeting you now and somebody had given me these questions to ask and I didn't know why I was asking and I just needed to listen to the answer, you're revealing it right here and now. So MC Hammer, I met one of his backup dancers. And his backup dancer said, let me tell you why MC Hammer was great. After every single show, he would make us watch the tape in real time. So we would get off the stage, (gasps) out of breath, (sighs) and he would put the tape in of the show that just happened. And he said he would make us watch it in real time, and he would point out like what worked, what didn't work, what we could all do better. And he said, I learned in that moment what real greatness is. And hearing you say that, that like, okay, I just won, but I'm going back to look at the things that I did wrong, I really want people to hear that because I don't want them to get lost in you saying um, I had natural talent for it and I worked hard, yes, but it started from natural talent. I want them to hear the and I worked hard part, right? Because that to me is so critical because right now there's a young boy or girl or maybe an old man or woman and they've never done that thing because they don't know what they're naturally gifted at. They don't know where they get their early wins and so they think they have to in order to do something great. And I really believe like your story is at times that, but at other times is, is the watching the tape. It is looking yourself in the eye before a fight and saying, I've trained harder for this. I'm worthy of this victory. I've already won, right? Yeah, but the thing is, is that, um, and I've said to people before, because we're like, you're so confident, but I'm not that confident about everything. So I want people to understand that that just because, like, when you start talking about boxing, you can tell I get a whole different energy, right? That's like, that's my thing. That's my space. Like, don't, I'm going to take your head off. I used to have a thing of saying, like, my mama got my, that ring, I whoop her ass. Like, <laughs> people are like, your mother, but the, if she got in there, that must mean she, she was going to beat me. Like, okay, so if it comes down to me and you, I have to win in this ring, even if it was my mother. So that was just a saying. I wasn't going to really beat my mother up. But, unless um, she got in the ring. Yeah, unless she know. got in the ring. She wouldn't. She knows better. But um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being funny right now. I'm trying to be funny. So, um, but I'm saying that um, I'm not that confident about everything. So I do have the confidence in knowing that if I want to work hard at something, you know, I can make it happen. But, um, you know, a lot of times I know that people say, like, when I say, oh, I have to work on this and I have to work on that, people are like, no, like, stop talking negative about yourself. I'm like, I'm not talking negative. I'm just being realistic. So people have a different way of describing things. Like when I said to you, when I said, well, I say that to myself, you can't do something. Sometimes I mean, you can't do it yet, or you're not there yet, or you're not, because in my mind, I'm not where I want to be. 
So, you know, I'll say to myself, like I've always said, I wish I had a better vocabulary. That's one of my things that I'm insecure about because I did miss out on a lot of school and I don't have the intellect as far as the books and things that I would like to have or a lot of the knowledge that I would like to have. So I'm always like, oh, in my next life, I'm going to do better in school. And some people are like, why can't you do it now? I'm like, because I don't want to put my time and energy into going back and doing all these things now. You know, so a lot of times to myself, I'm like, well, if you wanted to work on it, you could. So that's always in my, the back of my mind. Like, yeah, I could, but you have to kind of choose, right? Because we have all these things in life that we want to go after. Right. And it's like, what are you really going to focus on and hone in on, right, to actually bring into reality? There's, there's only so much time and space. That's how I feel. No, I'm with you. How do you what are you going to do to make sure that your kids have that kind of hunger and tenacity to see something through? <clears throat> well... Not everybody has the same hunger and tenacity, and I know that. And um, like with my son, for example, um, he's very kind of timid. Mm. Um, and then it, it, I learned about his a trait called HSC. He's a highly sensitive child, but it's actually a gift because he has heightened senses, sights, sounds. Did you actually have him tested for that? I found out about it myself because he would say, Mom, it's loud in here when he's a kid. I was like, it's not loud. What are you mm. talking about? Or if I change the... Um, you know, brand of ketchup. He said, I don't like this. And you're like, what are you talking about? Just eat it. And then he say, my, my, my tag is hurting me. It's hurting me. And I'm like, Curtis, come on, your tag. And then I looked and he had little scabs from his tag. Oh. And then, you know, and then I, then I started, my son is complaining about, you know, you can Google anything now. Yeah. And then I got to HSC, highly sensitive child. And then you can answer these questions and then they'll tell you whether you have one or not mm. and then just how to deal with it and so I started to understand him more so with my son he may not have that same um, you know drive and type of um, attitude you know tenacity that I have but he's very confident he's a leader so he has it in different ways so in my daughter she's more like a little version of me you know and I'm like oh man I got my hands full but she's very sensitive like if you get on her then she'll start crying. So you, I think you really have to know your child. But I just try to do, I'm like, well, what did my parents do? Because I can tell you the things they didn't do right, right? But what did they do right that um, made me feel like I could just do anything? I have a really distressing theory about parenting kids in general. Mm -hmm. So I think that hardship may be one of the most important things if you're gonna develop hunger. So I come from the school of, look, I get it, it's definitely nature and nurture, it's not just one or the other, but I think that nurture probably accounts for a lot more than nature by itself. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a very distressing equation, we'll call it, which is if you put somebody through tremendous hardship, m most people will be broken by that. But the people that don't break become capable of the extraordinary. And if you, I mean, let's look at it from a bacteria perspective, which I'm surprising myself at this right now. So if you uh, take antibiotics and you stop before your cycle is done or the cycle doesn't kill them all, what you get left are the ones that are still alive. So they can face that adversity and they are still tough. And that's how you get superbugs, right? Because it's, you didn't kill them all. And it's like either kill them all or don't treat them and isolate and help uh, proliferate the ones that are the toughest. And that's how I think about kids, and um, that's how I think about the inner cities specifically, is you put a slew of humanity through the inner cities, and most of them are broken, and most of them fall into a generational cycle of uh, emotional and intellectual poverty. But some become Jay-Z, some become um, titans of industry. I mean, they, they just refuse. I mean, you hear these crazy stories of people like fleeing Mexico with like $7 in their pocket. I met this guy once who's now, I forget the name of the company, but this huge company in the U.S. He said, I crossed the Mexico-American border with $7 and a guitar. 
And you know, now I've built this, it was a technology company, I've built this massive empire. Amazing. And people that you know, have immigrant parents, it's that same thing. It's mm -hmm. like the, the adversity does break a lot of people, but it also ignites. And so reading your story, it was like, man, I would never have wished the adversity on you, but it definitely seems like it played a part in making you as hungry and driven and successful as you are. Definitely, and um, you know, I, I wouldn't change any of it. You know, and that's why I, I wrote about it and I embrace it. I mean, because a lot of people would be embarrassed, you know, to talk about it. Um, you know, it's, I still cringe sometimes when I hear someone say for shoplifting because it just sounds, you know, it doesn't sound good. You know, people like again, they don't realize I was a kid and whatever. But then I feel more comfortable when I can tell the story, someone can read the story. But um, it definitely. Um, is what made me who I am, everything that I go through. And you talked about being bitter. I'm not bitter. And I have a saying, you know, don't get bitter, get better. Um, because, nice. yeah, everything happens for a reason. I truly believe that. Um, and my kids haven't gone, you know, through, um, you know, poverty or anything like that. So I think that obviously everyone doesn't have to live that lifestyle to just be like, I got street cred. I made it happen. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's going to go through something different. My husband, Curtis Conway, is an NFL player and he grew up in the hood and he has a whole different story than mine. But we connected because we had so much in common. You know, and I've always noticed, like, I, 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 I get along really well with people from the hood. Like, some of my best friends are like straight up sisters, you know, like that's who I relate to. And it's because it's that realness, it's that rawness, and I, that the struggle. I relate to the struggle and I relate to hard work and I relate to authenticity. So I think that it definitely, everything you've been through is, it does turn you into the person that you are. And that's why, you know, I don't look at my story and complain. I don't look at my story and think it's any better or worse than anybody else's, but I own my story. And I think that as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate other people more because I used to put my dad on such a high pedestal um, because of all the Great. Now, trust me, he's not perfect at all. And I know all the things about him that are not perfect. But that also taught me a lot. Like, you can be that great and still not be per far from it, like really far from it. I'm saying as far as like, you know, I know some really great dads. So I'm saying just some of the things about my dad. I'm like, how do you do this and then do that? You know, but it's like we're complicated human beings, you know, and every individual has their things, that some that you're good at, some that you're bad at. But when you learn that at a very young age, you just kind of judge people in the world very differently, you know, and it's like, we're all here for a reason. We're all a part of this universe. You know, everybody is just as important, you know, and I am blessed to, um, from a very young age, and I get it, be confident. I, I try to use my platform to get other people to see all the unique gifts that they have, you know, because everybody's story is different and unique and just as important. So tell us a little bit about the platform that you're building and how do you hope that helps people be more comfortable and confident? Well, um, you know, from a business standpoint, when I started boxing, I mean, when I retired from boxing, it was kind of like, now what am I going to do, right? I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always, you know, felt like I can do a million things. So it's like really, you know, zoning in, like, what do I really want to do? So yes, I did Dancing with the Stars because I had to show people a different side of myself and that was the perfect opportunity. And then from there, I went on to start hosting television shows and all of that. And that wasn't the plan. Um, I, I don't even remember what the exact plan was then, but I knew I needed to show a different side of myself. And then, so I hosted American Gladiators with Hulk Hogan and a bunch of other shows. And all that time though, behind the scenes, I was like, what do I really want to do? Because, you know, these shows come and go and now you're back at the starting point. Like, I don't like feeling like anyone's in control of my destiny, right? And it's like, if you have to wait for someone to give you a hosting job, 
that's not really being a controlled situation. So it took me about five years to say, hmm, what am I passionate about? What do I love? What can I have the same confidence and drive for as I did boxing? Um, and that was the, the when I really started learning that health, fitness, and wellness was something I was passionate about because I'm writing nutrition plans for friends and always trying to help people, and I'm doing it now um, because that's what I'm really into. But I was like, okay, now business mind kicks in. Like, how can I monetize this? How can I really focus on the things that I love, give back, do philanthropy, all of that, but still make sure that I'm taking care of my family, right? So um, that's when I started the Leilali Lifestyle brand, and I'm still building it now, but I have my podcast, Leilali Lifestyle, and I have my blog, which is under reconstruction right now, and then I want to come out with nutrition products. I'm coming out with my cookbook, um, and, you know, it's kind of you know, as a celebrity, you have to rebrand yourself because people knew me as a boxer. Then, of course, I went on Chopped because that was, again, strategic, not only because I love to cook, but I need to get into that space and put, put that out there so people start seeing me that way. Um, and then we have a big problem here in the United States with obesity and diabetes, and people just don't know how to eat, how to take care of themselves, and they're always being fed the wrong thing and different information. It's really overwhelming, you know, and I feel like we can take control of our health, right? And, and, and by eating properly, because a lot of the problems that we have are from the lifestyle choices and the, the food that we're eating. And when you say the problems, do you mean physically, mentally, emotionally, all of it? I mean all of it. So I, I believe that your food can be your medicine or it can be your poison. I truly believe, like I said, just by taking control of your nutrition and, and, and eating you know, good quality food and, you know, having a healthy lifestyle mentally, physically, you know, spiritually, all of that comes into play holistically. Um, but it definitely food plays a big part of it. I'm trying to you can't always go that deep on people because some people are just kind of like, what's organic? You know, or I'm healthy. I drink only clear soda. I'm like, really? Like, you know, <laughs> like I hear those things. I'm telling you, when I'm speaking around the country to certain people. And I'm like, wow, like people really don't know. So some people you have to start meet them where they're at. Um, but I really want to speak to those people that just don't really get it, you know, and ri try to, you know, that's my passion, um, to teach people how to take control of, of their health. And when I started boxing, I, I had to lose weight to become a fighter, um, and I had to learn how to eat and how to fuel my body, and then I was like, wow, I, I noticed how good I felt and how my body changed, how my thinking changed, how my energy changed, just everything about me changed because of the way that I ate. How much do you think body image plays into confidence and um, the ability to chase your dreams? It's very important. At the end of the day, I just always say, just focus on your health first, and then you know, naturally when you feel good and you look good, you know, you're gonna feel better about yourself. But it's, it's really the health should be the first you know, key thing. Like for me, I'm not that vain to where I won't eat unless, so I have to think about, that's not good for me. Because if it's just about gaining two pounds, I don't care. You know, it's, I have to think like that's poison. You know, and that'll make me not eat certain things. But I still eat. I have my cheat days. You know. All right. So if you were gonna leave for your kids a few rules, suggestions about how to build a champion's mindset, and then that was it. They could never talk to you again. What would you leave them with? <laughs> yeah, we gotta do make that it hard. to me. Gotta make it hard. Oh my goodness. Um, How to build a champion's mindset. Uh, let's see, I'm just gonna have to start running things off. Let's do it. So, I mean, I don't know how many things I have, but I'm just gonna have to go for it. So first thing is you have to, you have to say, okay, what is it that's gonna make me happy? What is it that I want? Then you have to map out a plan, right? 
in order to get there. And you might have to enlist some help from other people. You might not have all these answers for yourself. It'd be too overwhelming to think you have to do it alone. But that's the first thing you got to do. And then you got to, so you got to get that right team of people in place that are going to help you along the way. Know more than you know. Be honest with you, you know, so that you don't start thinking your own shit doesn't stink. You know, and then you have to be willing to do the hard work that it takes. And you have to go into it knowing that there's going to be road bumps. There's going to be challenges. That's just something you should expect. So when you see it, it's not going to throw you off. Right. And then you have to just kind of have faith. And then when you have your moments of weakness, you have to, um, you know, for me, for one, I believe in a higher being. I believe in God. I'm a spiritual person. So it's like I'll have those talks and say, you know, please give me the strength to get through this. Give me the strength to be focused. And then I really trust that that's going to come. I'll just ask for it. And then next thing I know, things kind of just work out, you know, so like I feel like that is something that I can always lean on. Um, so no matter what's going on, you know, I'm going to get through this. So, um, you know, I think that that's pretty much it. I mean, there's a lot more that we can say, obviously, but that's really what it comes down to is knowing that, you know, you have what it takes to make it. You know, it might not happen in the time that you want it to happen, but it will happen. And these are all things I think that people who are successful have said before, right? So I'm not really saying anything different. But if I'm talking to a child, I would kind of keep it simple and and put it like that. And I would say, write it down, you know, write it down. And sometimes you're going to forget because you're going to get emotional. And if you're like me, you're going to maybe have a bad memory and you might need to refer to your notes, you know, and that's something that you have to do. You have to say it, you have to think it, you have to write it, and you have to really believe it in your heart, um, no matter what it is. How do you learn from your mistakes and build from that? And the thing I think in the book that really hit me the hardest was when you were in an abusive relationship, um, the guy choked you at one point to where you were legitimately afraid for your life. How do you come back from that and have a relationship again? I mean, how did you learn from that and what was that process? A relationship with someone else, you mean? Yeah. You know, everyone has their things they have to work on. I've never been that person that goes on to the next person as if they were the last person. It was kind of like, this is a clean slate, you know? Um, and I remember that day, because he chased after me naked. Like, I ran out of the house like, ah, you know, and he chased me. But, um, you know, that was very traumatic. But um, I always look at myself and I think like, why did I let it get to that point? Because there was all kinds of red flags that were there. Um, and so that's what I do. Like, again, I always look at the situation and say, okay, we're not gonna deal with somebody like that again. Very smart. All right, before I ask you my last question, where can these guys find you online? I can be found um, on my Facebook page, Layla Ali. Um, Instagram, The Real Layla Ali. Um, I have Twitter. I don't use it that much. I'm trying to get better with that, but I'm The Real Layla Ali on Twitter. And then, of course, Layla Ali Lifestyle is available at Podcast One and also on iTunes.com. And if you come, I want you to comment on my show, rate my show, because I like to know what people think. And I'm not at the level you're at. I'm just getting in there. I'm just getting started. Oh, no, your stuff is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Absolutely. you. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. So. That's cool. All right. What's the impact that you want to have on the world? I mean, when it really comes down to it, you want to just inspire others to be the best they can possibly be in life. Because I just believe that each of us individually, um, obviously created by God, he did not make any mistake. Um, regardless of whether you believe in God or not, you were created perfectly as you were supposed to be. And... Um, 
you know, this life is really about finding out what that gift is, what we're, what we're here for, you know, and not everyone is going to be Muhammad Ali, you know, as far as his impact that he had on the world. I see everyday heroes all the time that are doing things in the community or sometimes take two other kids, you know, into their household, raising their sister's kids. And you never know what you're putting in that kid's heart and mind. And he might turn out to be the next Muhammad Ali. So everybody has an important job to do. And I think that I just want everyone to, um, you know, no matter what is it, what it is that you're doing, take care with it, nurture it, you know, see the importance of it. I don't care if you're sweeping floors, you know, it's just that you got to do your best at everything that you're doing and realize that, you know, anything, you know, that you can contribute on all different sorts of levels. So um, I'm not one of these people that's like, I want to do this or I want to do that. It's just that I know that there's something special about me um, and I'm comfortable saying that. So that's really it. Um, I might have a different answer for you 20 years from now, sure. but um, that's really all that I can say. But my most important thing that I wake up and go to bed thinking about is my children, um, because they're I'm 100% responsible for them. And even though you know they came to this world through me, they don't belong to me. But um, you know I I really see the, that you know it's really important for me to raise them a certain way so that they can go on and make you know make their impact. You know, on the world. Ava, thank you so thank you much. So for much. Us. Thank great. you. I appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. All right. Guys, this is a universe I promise you that you're going to want to dive into. It is human transformation at its absolute finest of seeing somebody go from a spark of believing that they could be something to actually following it through and recognizing it doesn't matter where you start. It matters what do you love enough to really fight for, to become, to put in the effort. But it's that thing that really to the core of your being, you're willing to fight for, to become, and on the other side of a lot of hard work is the person that you can become. And anybody whose mission is to help not only themselves, but other people realize their highest level of potential to actually actuate that, you know that I'm gonna be into it. And that is what you're gonna see in spades. Everything that she's done really touches on that. It's absolutely extraordinary, especially to read her biography and realize, and this to me is one of the most beautiful human traits ever, to go into a relationship, get hurt, Go into another relationship knowing you're probably going to get hurt again and still open yourself up and be vulnerable and let somebody in. That, to me, is what it means to be human, to allow yourself that vulnerability to experience love. She's tough as fucking nails. (laughs) And yet is still a beautiful human being. It's incredible. And that friction, that balance is what I love. Come on. How can you not love this face? But really, that thing to me, that is it. That's the juice. Finding the ability to be hard and soft at the same time, to fight for something and still be a mother, to be nurturing and open. That is incredible. That is something that I definitely want for myself and I want it for you guys and you will find it. Dive into her world. You will see how to strike that balance. Guys, this is a weekly show, so if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Impact Theory. If this content is adding value to your life, our one ask is that you go to iTunes and Stitcher and rate and review. Not only does that help us build this community, which at the end of the day is all we care about, but it also helps us get even more amazing guests on here to share their knowledge with all of us. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this community. And until next time, be legendary, my friends. Thank you.